Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always from the Generate? Bessie Generate? What was the thing? The Benny Gesserit? Benny Gesserit, that's what I'm trying to say. Tara's here. <laughs> Greetings, citizens. Welcome, this is a science fiction movie podcast. We get together, we watch a sci-fi movie, we talk about it, and on today's show, we are talking about the 1984 version of Dune from director David Lynch, of all people. And we're going to get into this. This is a, a notorious film. It does not have the best reputation as far as movies go. It is kind of seen as a bit of a mess. So I'll be curious to see how we how we uh, think of this. Uh, I, I have seen it once before. I actually reviewed it once before on my first viewing uh, a few years ago. Uh, and this is a return for me. Uh, had you seen this before, Tara? Yeah, I've seen it. <sighs> couple of times i remember watching it as a kid i'm not sure how old and how much um how much it really <laughs> stuck mm. with me and i remember i watched it not too long ago i watched it i i want to say when it was announced that denis villeneuve was making a, a new one i returned and watched it again mm. which of course is why we're doing this now because we are now mere weeks away from the new version which of course we're going to review as well and uh well it's already out for a lot of people it's out for a select few countries it's not a lot of people it's like five I'm countries i'm still a little bit jealous uh, sure but like especially it's especially weird since it was meant to come out in like a week or two and it get pushed to later in october at some random point uh so that's a bit weird especially well, since it's meant it's... to come out a year ago Oh, true, but it, like it was originally, or not originally, but for for the longest time, it was meant to be like October tenth or something like that, and then it got pushed to the twenty. It got pushed by like two weeks. I don't know why, but it did. And it's just weird that other countries, fairly random countries at that, seem to just get it like in September <laughs> when everyone else is waiting until like later in October. I'm not sure why that is, but uh, that's the position we're in. So, but that's why we're doing it, uh, and we're also going to be looking at Arrival in a couple of weeks' time, uh, just to sort of wrap up Villeneuve's science fiction work on the show. Uh, obviously, we've already done Blade Runner 2049, so I uh, look forward to that in a couple of weeks. But uh, we're here today to talk about Dune 1984, uh, the movie which tries to pack in the story of Dune into just over two hours and ten minutes, give or take. So... We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about it. I guess we'll start spoiler free. Uh, as far as experience with the source material, I have listened to the first six or seven chapters on audiobook, and that's as far as I got. Uh, have you read or listened to the audiobook? I've probably attempted to read Dune like six times. <laughs> and I just don't get into it very well. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do the audiobook this time, and I'm going to do it before the new movie comes out. Okay. I'm just going to... I have plenty of time. I'm just going to... I'm just going to do it. What's interesting is I don't remember uh, if I had... If this attempt to listen to the audiobook, which I, which I did enjoy as I was doing it, I, I just have no time to read books. <laughs> like, that's just the, the, the simple truth of it. Uh, to keep it up with movies, TV, comics, and video games is just... <laughs> like, that's a challenge as it is. And I struggle with keeping all That's those. That's true. I do have to. Fine. That does mean I have to read it before. Well, not just before the new Dune, but before the new Far Cry, because that oh, will be yes. all my time. So you've got a week. <laughs> you've got just over a week to at the time of recording. 
You've got just over uh, a week. Yeah, easy. I can do it. Okay. All right. We'll see. Um. So. Yeah. I. So I. 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 Something that I might one day. Uh. Return to and actually make an effort to do. But what's interesting is I don't remember if this attempt. I think it was after I watched the movie for the first time. And I think what was interesting this time watching it is that in the first 10, 15 minutes, it throws a lot of words and a lot of names of things at you. There's a lot of exposition. And I will say that even just having listened to the audiobook for the first like six, seven chapters, it did make it easy to process a lot of the information better because the book spends time introducing uh, the various concepts, the, the couple of different families, uh, the different types of people, like uh, the Mentats, for example... Um, so when those things came up in the movie like I, I felt like I had a bit of an understanding uh, this time I, at least I had a better grasp on it at the start but notably as the movie went on and it got to, into material that I hadn't heard from the book um, it became more and more difficult to follow some of the weird things that was introducing out of nowhere uh, stuff that I presume is properly established in the book and set up and paid off and it th- there's a reason this movie crams far too much. It had to. It really need to simplify it, right? It's a bit of a mess of a movie, but I will say this: it's an interesting mess, and it is a very visually pleasant mess because the miniatures, the map paintings, all of the practical effects, the opticals, all that stuff is wonderful. Uh, and as a fan of David Lynch, and this is very much not a David Lynch film, even though David Lynch did direct it. It's not really a David Lynch movie even with some David Lynch uh, cast members that snuck in there, including himself in one small cameo. Mm. Um, it's not really a David Lynch movie. Uh, some of the dream sequences, you could argue, are a little David Lynch-esque, but in the context of this movie, they just feel out of place and just feel like, what is this? What, what are we doing right now? So, uh, I think I was a bit generous when I first saw it because I was so wowed at how it looked, and I probably rated it a little too highly. But... Mm. Uh, so my rating is probably going to go down from my first viewing, but I still have fun watching it. Although, admittedly, I did find it easy to zone out at various points, uh, and I almost struggled to pay attention at certain parts where it just felt like it was running through different, like new exposition constantly, trying to explain things and skip over. Th- I mean, the new movie is going to be a two-parter if if the first one's successful enough to get the second half. But if the new movie coming out is only half of the story which I think will only be to its benefit given how overly crammed and how little explained some of the stuff is in this. So, how did you feel watching the movie again? I I really like this movie, and I think, yeah, the visuals are what puts it over the edge. Also, the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack oh, really, mm-hmm. is really, like, rocking. <laughs> it kind of makes some scenes, like, extra awesome just because of that electric guitar that comes in. Um, but yeah, visually, like, it's disgusting, it's crazy, it's wild, and it's also really beautiful in a lot of the moments. Um, I think that there's a lot of this movie that is missing, especially in the third part where you're just all of a sudden like, oh, we're just time traveling now. Well, yeah. (laughs) Through a lot. (laughs) Well, time jumping, time travel, just because we're a science fiction show, so that's just specified. I guess that's true, yeah. Not time traveling, just uh, time jumping. Yeah, the pacing of this film is wild. It really seems like there's like an hour missing. Yeah, there's there's a moment where it basically just casually said, over the next two years, this happened in a montage. (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, it feels like this is a lot of stuff that would have been a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of this seems like it may be quite interesting. Um, yeah. So, um, but actually, I still really like it, though. I I really do enjoy watching it. It's a it's just it's a wild it's a wild ride. What's funny to me, and I think that we both like this more than the thing I'm going to compare it to. But what's funny to me is how much this for us, how much this and Blade Runner kind of line up. In that, technically, they're both wonderful, right? The sound, mm-hmm. the music, the visuals, the effects. We love this Sean all Young. that in both. And Sean Young in a romance that I don't buy is in both movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as much of a problem in this one because it's not the the emotional crutch of the film. I'd say it's more of the storytelling element that's introduced in the in the last part of it is where is why it suffers. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just because it's all done through you know time jumps. I can't really blame her for this, but I will say I've yet to see her in a movie where she has chemistry with her romantic partner in, in the movie. <laughs> And it's really just this in Blade Runner. I've not really seen her in a whole lot of things, but it's just kind of funny to me. But it, it dawned on me: wait, this is this is her from Blade Runner, and oh, I don't care about this romance. That's funny. This is a bit of a trend that's growing with her. Uh, so, so yeah, that 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 is a, an interesting comparison. I think in t- in terms of, and I think we both sound more positive on this. I think we both appreciate because Blade Runner. Is a is kind of a problem for us because we think that the, the the events that play out everything about it we should love we love the themes the ideas those moments we like and all the technical aspects but the main through line in the writing is just too dull slow and boring right mm-hmm. this movie is actually the opposite problem in that uh, even though all the things we like are the same the technical qualities the music the visuals there's some great moments but is that the story is far too jam-packed and overstuffed and it's speeding through too many things that needs to explain. I think to fit this in one movie, I really think you had to like take out some of the ideas. I think there's too many ideas to fit this into one movie. There's too many things they have to explain, uh, you know, chosen one stuff along with, you know, secret water stuff along with uh, different factions and things like that, uh, rituals and beliefs and just... And so much of it, like, is either quickly introduced early on, and it's like in narration, or it's and there's a lot of this movie does this thing where it tries to keep some of the narration from the books, where almost every character has at least one or two moments where you'll hear their their thoughts, right? It just kind of does it every so often. And but the problem is, is that when you hear when you're hearing talking constantly, it's actually hard to take in the information if you're just, especially when it's all new concepts. So the first the first ten minutes, I mean, it's a problem throughout the whole movie, honestly, but. The first 10 minutes especially, where it's introducing like the two families, the Emperor, uh, it's introducing the, the, the Bessie Genera, it's introducing uh, the different planets, it's introducing yeah. the idea of the Chosen One, the idea that, oh, uh, Lady Jessica's not supposed to have any, any sons, only daughters, uh, because she was in that group, but then she kind of broke the rule and had a son anyway, and like, okay. You, you, especially you, since there's so many scenes where they're already like, showing you and not telling you and mm. then they tell you on top of that what's going in their heads you're like what? i got it <laughs> and that may actually be a blood runner comparison I, I do wonder if that was a studio or you can narrate more of this to explain what's going on well i mean virginia madsen's there to do the exposition throughout the film and i guess that's her only reason for being there she shows up in like two scenes also where she's just standing there yeah she's just, she's just standing <laughs> She's she shows up and their dad's like get out of here okay and then that's that's what we see of her that's her character but like she like she is our narrator officially 
but then everybody is our narrator. And then I think there are like characters that have telepathy. So that can be a bit confusing also. Like, are, are you speaking, like, are the people hearing you? Are you like sending your thoughts or is this just a narration for us? I actually wasn't sure if it was telepathy, to be honest. It's kind of unclear in the movie, which I think is again, one of those things where there's so many ideas getting thrown at is that some of them are just poorly explained or defined. Because uh, mm-hmm. one of the things, uh, there's a big deal later on in the film, especially about how our main character, played by Kelly McLachlan, he's Paul Atreides, uh, son of the Duke Atreides, um, and that's Jorgen Prock now. And they are coming to take over the planet Arrakis, which is also known as Dune, and that's where the space is. The space is this resource that comes from the sand on Dune, which basically is for everything. It's a drug, but it also feels the space travel they use where they sort of fold time and reality to jump across the universe, blah, blah, blah. All, all, all that stuff, right? That's all fine. Um, but, so, the, the not the natives necessarily, but the people who have sort of become the, the, the adopted natives of Arrakis, the humans who have kind of adapted and their eyes have turned blue and they live there, those people want to learn how to fight like the Atreides do, like, like that, that family does. And they bring up, and as he's training them, some stuff that I thought, it felt like it was supposed to explain some of this to me at the start of the movie when we, ha- when we had his training scene. But when mm-hmm. they casually mentioned later on that, oh, this is about turning your own sounds into a weapon and firing, you know, that's what fuels the, the gun thing. I'm like, wait, yeah. did they did mention this? <laughs> did they even no. imply this earlier on? Oh, I, I, I think don't there, was, there was some implication early on about using the voice as a weapon. But, like, we aren't shown anything like that. Yeah. It, it's just like, oh, yeah, everybody can do this. Like, <laughs> if you just, you know, know how to resonate. Because there's, there's so many, like, concepts that it just has to quickly explain in one line of narration or dialogue. Like, oh, this is a rule that is now about to be broken. It's like, well, it has no weight then, because you've just explained it to me in the same scene you're going to break it. And mm-hmm. that just makes everything feel light and fluffy. And it's one of those things where I'm sure people who have read the book and know this all inside and out, are probably recognizing all these things going, oh that's referencing this and that's referencing that and it's probably really fun for them but mm-hmm. the movie on its own doesn't sell us on a lot of these things it just quickly goes like we're, there's no way we're going to mention every idea this movie has because it's impossible to remember them all i'd have to watch it four times and take dubious notes it, yeah it, it, would be, it would be a silly amount so it's uh so that is a problem that's a problem it kind of feels like it feels like the movie's constantly buckling under the weight of how much is in it, and everything we're talking about is the is them in editing or and even in writing, but definitely in editing, trying to make make sure all the information is technically there. But making sure all the information is technically there does not a good movie make. <laughs> it's how the move, it's how the information is presented, it's pacing, it's all these things, uh, and this movie uh, just you know. So it is a, is a mess. It's a glorious mess, but it is a mess. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, like it's you know it's crashing and burning, but it's shining really bright along the way. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> it's a car crash, but the fires pray. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I I can't imagine like David Lynch. Like I assume he's a fan of the book, and that's maybe why he was talked into doing this, but. Uh, I, I I can't imagine him and like, the you know, scenes. Not to get into spoilers, but the you know, big action scenes towards the end. And all I could think was like, I've never seen a David Lynch movie with an action scene like this in it. And I I I can only imagine him sitting there in the directing chair, being miserable that he's having to do all this coverage for stuff that's going to have mm-hmm. optical effects and 
you know, he strikes me as a director who loves like doing stuff in camera and getting the actors and like doing the weird shit on screen. And most of it is going to be there on the day because he doesn't use that much. I mean, there is effects in some of his work, but not like it's mostly dramatic actor work. It's mostly okay. We're going to do weird stuff, but we're going to do weird stuff that's like like a performance that I can direct. And so much of these big action sequences are oh, okay. Now there's going to be like all these guys firing blasters, and you're going to be up there firing a blaster, and oh, mm-hmm. dive out the way and go ah, like that's just yeah, not something much likes. Yeah, there's a couple of, like mini trampoline moments. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, insane cast though I'd forgotten some of the names that were in this uh, Brad Dourif yeah. was a surprise to me I'd forgotten he was in this yeah I up. remember him being in there from the last time I watched it as Piter yeah uh, Patrick Stewart of course uh, before his days in the Enterprise mm-hmm. he was uh, serving under Paul Atreides yeah. uh, not not too long before not too long yeah it's only a few years this is 84 and Star He's, Trek next somehow year's. looks older here than he does in Star Trek to me uh, I could see that. I think, especially later on, because he's got the longer hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's still bald at the top, but he's got the longer. He's he's got the the Bill Bailey, which I know you won't get who that is, but for for UK folk, he's got the Bill Bailey. <laughs> uh, I don't know who Bill Bailey is, but I know what his hair his hair looks like now. You've you've seen him in something because he has a small role in Hot Fuzz. However, he's wearing a wig in that, so you wouldn't know what his hair looks like, but. <laughs> But he is there, technically. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in so long. Um, so, yeah, we got, you got, so yeah, the more of this cast. Sting, the singer, not the wrestler. Uh, he's he's in there. <laughs> you've got um, uh, Jürgen Prock now. You've got, you mentioned Virginia Madsen in that small role. Uh, Sean Young's a love interest. Oh, God, there's so much. Oh, the teacher, the principal from Kindergarten Cop, has got a small role in this, which made me go, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're right, yeah. Dean Stockwell? Dean, oh, Dean Stockwell, of course. A uh, couple of uh, Lynch regulars. Obviously, Kelly McClacklin is as well, of course. But uh, uh, Jack Nance uh, and Everett McGill. Everett McGill is kind of the leader of the, the Fremen in this. He... Uh, he's got a major role in Twin Peaks. Um, although the first thing I ever saw him in, funnily enough, he was the bad guy in Under Siege 2. So, that's where I know him from. Good movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good's debatable, but it's a fun movie. <laughs> uh, so, you know, hell of a cast. Hell, hell of a mixed bunch of people that are recognisable from various things. Uh, so, you know, it, it's kind of fun seeing the faces. And... Yeah. But. I forgot it was Jurgen Prock now. Like, oh, cool. Guy from uh, Death Boot. Hey, don't forget Wing Commander. Wing Commander. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, there's a destroyer hunting us. Yeah. Obviously, <laughs> after the mixed reception this got, like, uh, you know, if you told Jurgen Prock now, you're going to be in a much, much worse sci fi movie than this. <laughs> in about another decade and a half, you're going to be like, in. He's like, oh, no, I, l- I learned my lesson. <laughs> I swear. 15 years later, he's in a wing commander with Freddie Prince Jr. And what's her face from Deep Blue Sea who can't act? <laughs> I remember. I remember her name. Oh, dear. Um, so, yeah, great cast. It's a, it's a great cast. It's clear that you know, obviously this book is very popular uh, amongst uh, writers, filmmakers, nerds alike. You know, like it's, it's, it's a big deal. Uh, yeah, I'll to, get there one day. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big <laughs> like a week. 
you know, it's one of the, it's the seminal science fiction work in a lot of ways. You know, fantasy writing has Lord of the Rings. Science fiction writing has has done in many ways. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say it's still very fantasy. It, there's a lot of fantasy in this. There's definitely the other families that is sort of regal to it, which isn't necessarily to my taste. But there's a lot of stuff in here that I do like. I love the the look of the uh, the the Baron Harkonnen, like his planet, like in all oh, the green. Yeah. So it's almost Borg esque at times. Mm-hmm. The color scheme that he has. Yeah, and they seem like they're far from nature too. Like the they're super unhealthy. They don't even mm-hmm. walk anymore or at least the the baron doesn't no, walk he's, he's got a flying which I, I do remember his introduction in the book he did have i mean he was described as way fatter in the book but yeah yeah uh, and he's got like he's covered in boils and he's described by his doctor as beautiful even though he looks like he's he just looks sick yeah and it's not even like just he's ill everywhere it's not even just generally beautiful either he specifically goes your boils are so great, Baron. Like he doesn't, he doesn't call him sexy or anything, but he's he's complimenting all of the things that are clearly ugly and hideous. Yeah, uh, there's a there's a um an episode of Disenchantment that I really enjoyed where uh, the king wants to get gout because the gout is considered a kingly disease because only people who eat very unhealthy because they have this um they have the wealth in order to be able to eat nothing but cakes all the time get gout (laughs) so like that's a it's like a regal disease to get so he wants to get gout that's kind of what it reminds me of yeah well that was the thing once upon a time being being overweight was considered a sign of wealth (laughs) which you know obviously that's faded along it might be what this is taken from and then it's like you know times a thousand to be disgusting well i mean i think it's even more than that it's just the idea that he is so like like disgustingly like empower in every way like it's, it's not just yeah. he's, you know he's even like it, there there is a little bit of like a sexual attraction to like the the young perfect looking male body that he is mm. like drawn to also like sting comes out at one point and he's just like it's just basically showing off his his body and it's just slim and trim and like he looks at him like in this uh this way where he like Almost like he wants to eat him. <laughs> like he's just yeah. It, there's he's admiring, but in a really disgusting way. Yeah, he's got he's got his eye on him. He's watching every step he takes, every breath he makes. Mm, I understand that reference. <laughs> it's the only thing song I think. Well, I, I know heroes obviously, but mm. I couldn't work that into this. It's just too it's too positive and uplifting for <laughs> yeah for this. Well, I guess that's a police song. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but that's still Sting. <laughs> yeah. Message in a bottle. It's <laughs> the same difference. Uh, it's a nice little song about stalking someone. Uh, uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I love the design of that. Uh, I, I actually sent you an image of the Emperor uh, standing next to some of the, uh, the, the ladies, right, with the headdresses on. And I, I sort of joked it looked kind of like Centauri. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't think I don't think that's a an accident in the sense that obviously this is meant to be an emperor, and you know Centauri and Babylon Five are meant to be the ones with an empire. So obviously there's a clear, even if there's no inspiration. Although I'm assuming that GMS probably likes the book. I'm just going to throw oh, out the other. Yeah. He probably likes Dune, but um, it was just because the the, the women that were standing with them, you know, from the message generator, they, they're bald, right, and they've got this headdress, and that really made me think and of the female Centauri. They're seers, also. Yes, yes. Uh, so those they are, those have all... this mysticism about them. 
there was a lot of comparisons to, to be made there and i hadn't watched babylon 5 yet <laughs> when i watched this last time so these thoughts weren't there but you know worth mentioning uh i swear because i when i was watching it i was thinking that this is one of these science fiction pieces that kind of take place in an alternate universe in the sense that you know some science fiction set in space it's like oh this is just you know in our future uh i would argue star wars even though it says set a long time ago it's kind of an alternate universe in the sense that i mean it's so separated and there's no hint of earth or any connection yeah. to us well dune it's... takes place in the year ten thousand. well something. that's what i was going to say the only connection to it technically being in our future is the year they say but everything about it everything that the planets the people it all feels like it's just its own you know these are the three planets that are part of this system that mm-hmm. functions. Uh, maybe maybe, maybe the, there's a lot of prequel and sequel books. Maybe they go into like, how it connects to like, our timeline or something. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure this is true, but there aren't really any aliens in Dune, except for like the, the sandworms, I suppose. But like um, every, every like intelligent being that's communicating with each other, they're all some sort of human that's been mm. like changed because of the spice so even like the giant like fat eel looking thing that talks in the tank is they're all humans they've just been so like in with the spice like the spice has changed them and their environment to where they're just like this blob of a person that has to live in a tank of water now to move i mean i'm surprised to hear that about that particular being because that that creature is so unhuman that mm-hmm. it, it has human eyes, though. Because everyone else is kind of like you know the, the, their eye colors change. They're the, you know they they look a little bit. They're all ginger. <laughs> yeah, the villains are all ginger. I'm sure when I talked to uh, Connor about this, I'm sure there were some jokes cracked uh, at his yeah. expense about the villains all having ginger. That hair. doesn't seem to have uh, transferred over into the new film. <laughs> N- not from the trailer, no. Um, I- honestly, I-, I genuinely think that when I mean, I'm assuming the new film is going to be better because of a lot of reasons mainly because it's getting more time to like spread its story out but mm-hmm. i will say i do think that i'm i might prefer some of the visuals of the old one uh because you know the new one's got that I mean, sl- it's so interesting looking but yeah but the new one you know it's that sleek cg kind of thing where it's just oh, okay there's like perfect sand dunes behind them they're in big empty clear science fiction looking rooms you know if you, if you compare the scene the, the start where uh what's her face comes to do the the, the 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 hand in the box test right it's, it's got a name but i'm not going to remember it let's not pretend that i will right and you know paul comes in and it's all put the hand in the box and he feels this pain but he can't take it out yeah yeah, yeah. and we can talk about that more in a bit but there's this you see a bit of that scene in the trailer for the new one and it's in this infinite dark room kind of look and it's like this like super clean there's nothing there whereas in this movie no it, it looks like a room that's in a palace that's just like a this is a small study or something that she's doing this in um, yeah, I like the the visual effects of that scene too, where Paul is imagining what's going through it inside the box. Like yeah. you can kind of see what is happening to his hand. Yeah, but what I'm saying though is, I actually like that it is just in a room. It's just you can, there's a sense of geography. There's a sense of whereas I look at the scene in the trailer for the new one, and I just think this looks unrealistically clean and like empty and infinite and. A lot of movies like to do this these days and because they can, because they can just have the CG kind of fill out the back of the room or they can just, whatever. They can infinitely extend things. And it just, it makes it feel less real to me. And I kind of like that this is just a room in the building. It's not, Mm -hmm. 
try to be overly flashy with it. So, while I do think the new one will probably be better for a lot of the reasons we're going to say, and I've already said why this one is a bit of a mess, there are things like that where technology is going to let them do things that I think are excessive and just don't aren't necessary. So. The miniatures of the sandworms in this one are great oh, also, yeah. which is the thing that we're going to lose. But, I mean, in the trailer, the sandworm that we get to see looks pretty cool, but... Uh, like I, I love when they first show up and stuff. I won't say too much, but like you still get the the immense scale of them. Mm-hmm. Like they tell you they're big and stuff, but then because they use all the miniatures, you're like, oh, they're like planet eaters. <laughs> like they're big. Yeah, you're thinking like raboids, maybe, or maybe a bit bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would surprise me if don't even inspire tremors to be honest, because like you know, sure, <laughs> why not? Um. Yeah. But, there's yeah, some, yeah, there's there's something kind of similar. They're more f- like whale-like, I guess, in uh, Breath of the Wild and in, in Zelda. But it's the same idea. You go to like this desert area, and it, the walking will inspire. You, like you'll start to see something moved in the sand, and it's just a giant. Like it's way bigger than you're expecting <laughs> to come out of the ground. Yeah. Uh, there's there's lots of little things here, like um. When they do get to the, some of the stuff in the desert and the sand, uh, you know, there's a device that's pulled out that's called a thumper, and the idea is like a, it's like a, you know it's a distraction. It's like okay, this will make a pulse, so this, so we can travel safely for a little bit whilst the, the the worm is distracted by this noise, this vibration. And I'm like, these are the sort of things that these little details. I'm like, I feel like there's a lot more to explore here about how it traverse through the desert, and so much of it's like lost over so quickly because it just has to mm-hmm. keep going, it has to keep getting to that next thing. Because there's so much to get through. Um, and there's a couple of things at the end that I don't like that much. Uh, not, not a lot, but we're talking like after the big fighting's all done. There's a couple of like things right at the very end that I'm just a bit... Ah, oh, this is a bit... Maybe this works in the book because you've set all these things up. But in the context of the movie, I'm like... I wasn't expecting quite this, you know, when you were saying that, you know, Paul was going to be the chosen one. Which, to be fair, like, as a as a plot device in science fiction, especially science fiction that skews more fantasy, and definitely in fantasy itself, I think collectively, I think most people are a little sick of the idea of a chosen one. Uh, there's a little bit of the... Yeah, you know, I, it, I think it does turn out to be a bit different than you think in the books. Sure, yeah. Um, I know a little bit about the Dune series, but um, I think it it's actually... It would be something more to your taste okay. if you're like, you kept going with the series. Oh, I'm happy to hear that. And you know, maybe the new movies will 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 do that. Um, but I think part of the problem is, and obviously, like everyone, pretty much in this movie is is white. But it does come off a bit white saviory, right? If, if I take away the fact that everyone's white, like he comes and he goes to the Fremen and kind mm-hmm. of becomes their guy, and it's a little bit like that. And it's not like it's not like a huge deal. I'm mean, I'm just saying. But some of the, the tropes that it shares with that are there. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's kind of Avatar. Yeah, yeah. And that's a movie I enjoy still, but even in that, I'm yeah, like, okay, too. you know, he goes to the jungle and he becomes the saviour of those people. Um, mm-hmm. What they needed was a white guy to show up and save them. <laughs> and they just case, needed to train Tom Cruise to be a samurai, and now we can all survive. <laughs> I've not seen Last Samurai, but yeah, I, I suspect there's some comparisons. I actually have not seen it a long time. I remember really liking it, though. I think I saw uh, it a couple times. I mean, times. here you just swap out race for uh, it's the rich, like, royal family chosen one who comes and saves all of the yeah 
well, I don't know if they're technically poor. I mean, I guess they are, but they're, they're kind of outside the system. Uh, the right. Um, but, you know, there's the shades of that, and like part of that's kind of like, you're going to have to sell Like, I like him because he's Kelly McLachlan, but I don't know if there's anything in the movie to actually make me like this character. And mm-hmm. I think that's maybe, even in the, from what I, I heard of the book when I listened to the audiobook, I was kind of waiting for, okay, when are you going to make me like this character? You're just you're telling yeah, me he's important is, and when special. Is Paul, right, when is yeah. Paul going to actually prove himself to be useful? Yeah. Than... You can tell me he's skilled, you can tell me he's already good at fighting, you can tell me that he's like really intelligent and looks up all the, you know, researches and learns history and all that. But when am I going to like him? When, when are you going to mm-hmm. convince me that I should give a shit about him? And believe that he is the important person in the story. So, and that you know, if there's one concern I have about the new movies is that I look at the trailer and I see young uh, Timothy Chalamet, and I'm like, okay, how how are you going to sell me on him that he's the important one, and that I'm not going to care more about you know, twenty other characters because the movie's going to have twenty other characters that may be more interesting than he is. So, I'll be curious to see how they handle that. Well, even in this film, like I found myself rooting more like okay like i see why the duke is a good person mm. why he is like he, he, like right away he goes and he cares more about the people than he does like you know the spice and he's he, he's like he, he really is like saving people so like the, the the movie gives you a lot to root for uh paul's father more so than he does than you do paul because again in the film it's just like he's the best he's the prophecy he is yeah you know one look, might even look at what a natural he is. One might even call him a Mary Sue if you really want to get to the, the, the term. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's just natural at everything. And I think the other part of the problem, so it's the same. It's kind of along the same lines, but it kind of adds to this: is the idea that he's he ha- he kind of has like these psychic visions from the start of the movie that are basically just him seeing what his story is going to be. So when we mm-hmm. actually get to those beats later in the story, it's like, well, okay, so he's just kind of fulfilling what he suspected that he was like. There's definitely like a missing element of like really rooting and like work because that's actually one of the complaints I have about the the big final battle, which I won't spoil the details of. But honestly, like the good guys just kind of whoop the ass of the bad guys, and there's never even a question that there's like a risk they might lose. It's not it's not like a a tough battle with ups and downs where the good guys it took are them on the two ropes. Two years to train, I guess that's or two years to battle uh, I'm not but sure. it's, it's not interesting <laughs> it, it should be a case of okay all this training and two years of learning gives them a chance but it shouldn't be like ah oh, they walk in like a bunch of terminators and just like win <laughs> like like it's nothing and that's what it feels like it feels like the bad guys don't have a chance and it's not satisfying and there's no uh you know that's why i don't know if i i don't know if i that's one thing that i don't know if i picked up on last time but this time i was definitely feeling it towards the end i'm like this just feels like they don't have a chance, so therefore, why am I? F- There's no drama in this, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it's yeah. If, again, it feels like an effort to get all of the details or as many details as they can from the book into the movie. Like they're basically forgetting to actually tell the story in a way that makes me care about the story. They're just mm-hmm. rushing through the details. It's kind of why I don't like uh, uh, the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula because I really like that book and I really hate that movie. Because uh, I feel like the atmosphere is just missing the whole time. Uh, I like that movie, but you know, uh, and maybe the reason why I I I see beauty in this movie where I don't in that is because uh, it's a practical eighties era science fiction movie, and I like those visuals, and I like all the effects, and I like all the things this is trying to be. It actually comes off to me more as a seventies film than it does an eighties movie. 
like I think it was oh, I more. See that. It, like, I would put it closer to like Logan's Run than I would, you know, the Terminator. Oh yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying to compare. I was, I, I just said Terminator because they were unstoppable. I didn't mean to compare it. Yeah, I'm just comparing seventies and eighties movies, but like, I, I think it's more along the lines of Logan's Run. Not that it's that far away from the film. It just, I, it doesn't feel like an eighties movie to me. I think I have staying. a problem with the Logan's <laughs> Run comparison because I think the effects and the darker look of this does make it feel at least more like it's post alien. Because it's actually at times uh, when we're in the Atreides, like palace or castle or whatever, whatever it is near the start of the movie and we we're in the hallways i was actually thinking this looks like if you took the phallic stuff out of hr giger's like ship design and just you know put more bright lights in the room and that's what this looks like it had that sort of the dark walls with the all the line work it had that kind of vibe uh of, of the alien <laughs> ship not of the nostromo um <laughs> and i was kind of getting that vibe from it and you know a lot of the other things felt a bit more uh, I mean, I'm not saying this is as good design-wise as Alien, because it isn't, uh, or Star Wars, but I, I definitely think it... You can definitely feel it was made after those movies, because the, the production design is shooting for that. Whereas Logan's run and everything was really goofy and kind of cheap, and, you know, we were... Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd say it's not... It, it's not... At, it's definitely better than Logan's run, uh, production-wise, for sure. Mm-hmm. But the... Uh, I don't know, just the, the look of it kind of reminded me more of something pre-Star Wars than post. Okay, okay. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I mean, as, I mean, it looks great, and there's some weird effects. There's a... I was expecting this to come up more, but they introduced a thing early on. It's like a a shield that's like a sort of cube-like like visual yeah. effect that comes up over their body. Yeah. They almost look like they're Minecraft characters. All of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, and it was interesting because they said that it's not a perfect shield because if you if you penetrate it slowly, you can go through it. It only stops yeah. quick attacks. So it stops bullets and it stops like a quick knife slice. But if you gently press a knife in, and I was like, oh, that's a really interesting mechanic. I'm curious to see how that plays out in some actual fights. And I feel like there's one moment where you get to see what happens later with someone using that defense, but it never comes up again. I thought... There's so much potential in this mechanic of like all really the slow attacks. It does feel like part. there's like a missing hour of this film. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because there's a scene later on where you see someone get shot in the head with clearly a weapon that's designed to go through the shield. It's designed to have like a sort of, you know, a slower, <laughs> like, uh, not trajectory, but a slower velocity. Projectile? Uh, yeah, okay. Um, and I was like, oh, but what was cool about it though is that the effect of this, like, sort of clear like jelly cubes still over their head but you can see the blood of the on their forehead kind of spreading i thought it looked mm-hmm. really good i thought it was a really fun little effect and i thought oh man there's so much potential in these these i mean they're a bit silly looking at first but there is a lot of, and all i can think is this is another thing where i might not like it in the new one if they introduced this because in the new one i can almost just see it being like oh you won't see anything until they get hit and there'll be like a little like wave effect and it'll be like oh it'll be so sleek and so like like it's invisible and i'm like oh you really hate this movie that hasn't come out yet i don't hate it i'm just <laughs> there's a few things aesthetically that i know they're going to do in a modern way and i think those modern ways are infinitely less interesting <laughs> well i mean if i've learned anything from denis villeneuve it's yes. to trust him okay so. uh, i mean i don't i don't I'm, i don't have the same track record with his films that you do so you know uh, but for me 
I want to see this cube effect again with modern tech. I don't want to see mm-hmm. them redesign it so that it's just like a maybe invisible they want shield. It to be a cube. Oh yeah, I mean maybe not outright cube, but I, I want I want uh, hard edges. I I want them to sort of like th- try and like give me the feel that this was trying to give me, but with better effects. That's what I want from the modern shield in the new movie. I don't uh, even think David Lynch would make it a cube if he could make this movie again <laughs> right now. <laughs> I don't think da- I don't think David Lynch would make the movie again. I-, I I think this was David Lynch's attempt at doing a mainstream studio film, and he probably learned that because remember he was in line to do a Jedi, Return of the Jedi, which came out a year before this, and I've got a feeling. No, I didn't know that. Oh no, he was uh, at one point, and eventually it didn't happen. But I do wonder, you know, he got to do Dune which came out a year later, so presumably when that fell through, that, you know, I don't know if it, maybe the Dune talks were already happening, maybe there was, like, a, a decision being made between them, I don't know what it was, but it is interesting that I think after that point, like, he never went back to that that well. He never, like, he stayed he stayed clear of the big budget action movies. He just, like, no, I'm David Lynch, and I do David Lynch stuff. I think the only other David Lynch movie I've seen is Mulholland Drive. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I'm not really that familiar with his filmography outside of that. Oh, I, I love David Lynch movies. I mean, this is definitely, like, and objectively, the weakest one that I've seen. It's probably not my least favorite, though, but it's definitely the weakest one, objectively. Um, Not a razor head? Oh, it was, it was great. I love a razor head. Mm. I don't know if it's <laughs> good or not. <laughs> a razor head's great. Uh, it's, 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 uh... Weld at heart, I'm not that fond of. I know some people love that movie, so some people are going to be mad that I said that, but I never got much out of Weld at Heart when I saw it. Mm. But Mulholland Drive, Lost Highway, Blue Velvet, um, the Twin Peaks saga. <laughs> Great stuff. <laughs> love it. Um, so. Oh, and Elephant Man's really good. Oh, Elephant Man's actually a really conventional movie for David Lynch, but it's a really good conventional movie. I might have seen Elephant Man. My younger years, eons ago. Is it? Is it the "I am not an animal"? Yes. <laughs> John Hart as the actor to bring it back around to Alien <laughs> for for circling around I to might things. I might have seen it. And Anthony Hopkins in it as well, of course. Ah, Elephant yeah. Man's a great movie. Uh, so yeah. I suppose we could start. I will got a spoiler warning. We can sort of be a bit more free with our discussions here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a weird one to talk about because I, because it just sort of like speeds through so many ideas. Like I don't know if we're going to talk about every plot beat. That's okay. The way that we normally do. Uh, I feel like there's enough conversation to just bring up kind of like the ideas and moments that feel notable. Yeah, and, and plus we're not like super Frank Herbert Dune fans. That, yes. You know, we may not be able to accurately say exactly what happens in the film. No, there's definitely th- there's definitely things as far like, as like the different factions. And... I, I, I remember it coming up early on in the book. They set up this idea that there's this uh, this water of life or whatever it's called that only women who are gifted have been able to survive it, and no man who has ever tried. But there's going to be a chosen one, right? Mm-hmm. The Quasi Hadarak, I think, or something to that effect, uh, is going to you know that chosen one will be the only man who'll ever be able to do this. And obviously, it's building up to. Quit to that Paul. cataract, I think. There you go. It's building up to Paul doing that, right? 
But in the movie, it felt like it introduces this idea that, you know, no man can do this, only a woman can do this. It feels like it introduces that, like, right before it's introduced, uh, quite late on, and then he's doing it, like, I don't know, a few scenes later. <laughs> like, you know, a bit of a montage. Uh, I mean, you know, that's just one of the many, many things that it feels like it just throws out there. I mean, if you'd asked me before I watched this again, uh, if, if you know, to describe things in this movie, there was no way in hell I would ever have remembered in a million years that Paul ends up with a kid sister uh, towards the end of the film that her mother was already pregnant with uh, at that point. And yeah, and she ages rapidly because of the the well of life. Yeah, she ages to, like, I don't know, six or seven in the space of two years, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and she's creepy as... Yeah, <laughs> she's a creepy kid. <laughs> yeah, has a lot of knowledge. It's it's kind of weird. I I thought um, the the main woman from the Benny Jesser. I thought she, like her, like what she actually wanted in her allegiance and who she was rooting for. I thought was kind of mixed because I felt like what she, I felt like she was like excited by the prospect that Paul was the chosen one at the start. But then by the end of the movie, she's like terrified of him, and she she's like yeah. with the emperor. She's sort of pissed off that he's the prophecy. And I I got I got like confused as to what, like what she really wants, uh, mm-hmm. and I don't know if that's on me, but it's probably on the movie, given how much the movie speeds through things. <laughs> yeah. So that was another. Yeah, thing. there really is. Like, I actually was surprised at how long it takes for Paul to like separate and meet up with the Fremen, because mm. that happens like well past the hour mark of the film. And, and then from there, it's like, okay, we got to fit a whole nother movie into the last, like, what, 40 minutes, maybe? Yeah, I, I mean, if you were to guess, like, the, for the new movie, like, when that break is, like, when does the the first movie end? Um, it has to, I mean, it has to be building up to the the siege and sort of, like, the, the assassination of the Duke, right? And, like, them fleeing. Uh, maybe ending with, and admittedly, this means you get almost no Zendaya. Uh, in the first movie, <laughs> unless I mean, but for all we know, there, there could be scenes where we we follow the Fremen and what they're doing on their own, mm-hmm. you know. And then you one we don't know. Well, I, I remember the the Entertainment Weekly photos that came out. You do see them, Paul and uh, Zendaya together. I don't remember her name in the film. It starts with a C. Sean Young, Sean Young's emotionless love interest. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that character. <laughs> Uh, so, well, yes, I'm wondering how much we're going to actually see them together. Because t- to me, that's where you would you, you would end it with uh, them ending up with the Fremen, and that's kind of your your cliffhanger and your hopeful kind of beat. I mean, well, I, I hope it ends in a different scene. I hope it ends with the worm riding. Yeah, and the sweet guitar riff coming isn't through. That, I mean, I, I mean, that's the best scene in the movie for me. I love that scene. That guitar like makes everything so awesome. Like all of a sudden you're watching a heavy metal cartoon. Like, he's riding a really giant cool. worm. He he, he 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 basically digs a uh like a big javelin into the side of the worm. Yeah, it's like what people use for rock climbing. Yeah, but it makes he makes the worm spin so that it carries him up to the top, mm-hmm. and then he puts some rope around a couple of convenient blow holes, blow holes, and <laughs> then basically rides it like he's like on a sled. He's like, you know, he's in, yeah. The guitar music comes in, it gets really operatic and it's, Yeah, it's a it's real wonderful. like fist pumping moment. Like, this is awesome. I feel so cool, even though what I'm watching is kind of crazy. 
So no, that's a great scene. I, I, but uh, that's surely that's too late for the end of the first. I mean, unless they really go into this two years that's glossed over. <laughs> maybe I mean movie. maybe the first the first movie is just about the, the the worms for the most part. Like it's about establishing the different houses and the emperor and the spice, and then it's but the real threat of the film are the worms. Uh, no, it has to it has to build up to the. Because even in the book, like, right out from the start, the whole idea that the doctor... Because the doctor being the one who betrays the, 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 the duke, that's, like, something that's introduced, like, in the chapters I <laughs> I heard. So mm. that 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 intrigue of building to when uh, this betrayal and, like, this fall of the duke... Like, I feel like in a two-movie structure, you have to have the fall of the duke in that first movie. Like, yeah. maybe that's not yeah. right at the end, maybe that's, like, earlier, but, like, I feel like you have to have that so that they're in their... The new phase for movie Doesn't two. that happen before the worm riding? No, it does, yes. But that's why I'm saying, how 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 could it just focus on the worms if if we're going if we're going to properly give time to the betrayal and all the character introductions, and like sort of like feeling something when the Duke is betrayed and the predicament that Paul and Jessica are put into, then surely we have to like I'm spend a lot of time in that. Conquering the worm <laughs> is the end of part one. Like that's the big focus of the first film, as well as setting up everything else for the next. Well, well, that's the part I disagree with. The big focus that can't be the the big focus has to be on the Baron and all their like scheming. Fine, just and... let me just let me have one. <laughs> uh, if, if anything, I feel like the, the maybe something that'll come out of this movie if it's split. And again, like maybe maybe they'll do a thing where they sort of jump back and forth. Maybe they'll do like a split narrative or something. I don't know, but if it's split in a way that makes sense, then. There really won't be that many worms in the first movie, and that may actually upset people who go in like excited about big worms. Like they see big worms in the trailer and they're like, "Oh, big worms! Oh, and the big worms!" And then they get like one or two worm moments. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it'd be like a like Godzilla, like the the twenty fourteen Godzilla, <laughs> where it's just like you know, it's just 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 a tease and then the big ending is when you get the full the full shot of the worm and you're like okay okay it's worth it yeah but there's a lot of characters to deal with and there's a lot of like intrigue to set up but i suspect that'll all be set up the movie is like really long yeah but what i'm saying is though apparently there's like a four hour five hour version or something of it if anything, totally if anything, I see the worms being set up, but I see the worms has been more of a secondary thing in the first movie. I, the, the second movie is where, because that's where all the worm riding is going to happen. Uh, assuming it's split up in a straight 50-50 kind of first half of the story, second half of the story. The, the worm riding has to be in the second half. But based on this movie, I, well, again... What if we don't get it? Then you don't what get your don't worm get riding. <laughs> well, yes. I hear people really like the movie, so I'm, I have faith. Uh, I mean, I, I hope I like it. I hope I really do like it. Um, but you know, might I, be too fantasy for you. It may be, and I don't love every villain of movies. I, I mean, I really like uh, Arrival. Not to spoil my thoughts on that, but we'll talk about that soon. Um, I enjoyed Prisoners, but I, I am mixed on Sicario, and I am mixed on Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I, I've you know, I've been mixed on a couple of his films, so he's not a surefire hit for me uh, as villain of. So we'll see. All right, we'll see. What are we talking about? This this spun into uh, you demanding that the worms be the focus of the the new movie when 
I'm not sure how they can be. We were talking about how awesome the worm riding scene was. Well, the worm riding scene is great. Really good. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Uh, as is them raiding multiple worms into battle at the end. I mean... Yeah, or, or at least the shot of, like, Kyle McLaughlin in the front and then, like, this, the, his army behind them on top of the worm. Yeah. It's a great shot. There's a lot of fun stuff like that. Um, like I say, it does feel like there's, like, no chance of stopping them when they're coming in at the end, which mm-hmm. is kind of lame from a dramatic point of view because it's like, well, I mean, the fight's already over. Uh, the parts I didn't like at the end uh, was, like, Everything with like the the duel with Sting, with like oh we have to have a blade fight now, uh just kind of felt like why are we doing that? This like I, I, it I seems like the most appropriate place to do the Minecraft fight, also. That's that's where, true. Where he yeah. would have the slow blade victory. Yeah, yeah. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but the, the, yeah, it just it felt like. And I'm sure, and again, I'm sure in the book, the idea that there has to be this duel is probably set up in some way, but here it just kind of felt like, oh, Sting has to have a big scene. Because Sting's not had a big scene. He's had, he's had a scene with his clothes off. You no, know, I actually was thinking during the film, like, what happened to Sting? Did I, like, miss <laughs> his death or something? And then at the very end, he showed up. Like, I, I literally thought of it, like, 10 seconds before he showed up at the end. Because I thought the movie was ending, and we just forgot about but Sting. But they, they treat him like he's the big, ba- not the, the biggest villain. The biggest villain's the Baron, but... Who, who we do yeah. who we do see get shot into a, a worm's mouth, which is kind of delightful. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, um, but they treat him like he's the physically the biggest bad. Like he's the one who's going to put up the biggest like one to one fight where Paul's going to have to test these skills against this guy. But like that is like so. I would say it's not set up at all because there's a couple of scenes kind of like making him look like oh he's going to be a big deal later or something. There's a couple of scenes like that, but. As far as selling him as the no, he's the one that the the, the main guy's going to have to fight at the end, and it's going to be the, what really proves to everyone that he is now the he's got the he's got the coolest name, Fade Rafa. What a <laughs> cool name! I'm surprised you, uh, there's too many goofy names in this for me to remember. Uh, Fade, I remember that. I think Fade is an awesome name. Uh, and then Kyle McLachlan, uh, Paul, uh, he uh, makes it rain, and it's never rained on Arrakis, uh, so. I don't know if the movie set me up for he straight up can, you know, have godlike powers with this. Mm-hmm. Like, like I got that. Okay, he's going to be able to do something that's killed every other man who's tried it, and he's 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 good at things. But I don't know if I necessarily got he is going to actually be able to make it rain, <laughs> like a biblical figure. Yeah. So yeah, the well, they kept saying so. like he would have the the hand of God in his visions, and then he becomes the hand of God at the end, and is able to make it rain like a flood. Oh yeah, let's let's not gloss over those uh, weird visions where there's just a floating hand in space and oh, I love them. Yeah, they're cool. <laughs> yeah, those those are spread throughout the the movie. Uh, so and this is the thing where I'm not saying that any of these ideas wise can't work or shouldn't work or don't work in the book because they might very well be so well set up and it all feels like great payoff to everything that's been breadcrumbed throughout the story. I'm saying mm-hmm. that in this movie, as someone who has doesn't know the story from the book beyond a couple of the, the setup stuff and the basics, the ending just feels like, what the hell is this? <laughs> well, it sort of feels like, you know, we're setting up that Paul is like this, this, uh, th- this chosen one that's set up through this prophecy, and then at the end, it's like the, the his sister shows up and says he is, you know, the prophecy, and everyone says, all right, he's the prophecy, and then then the movie's over, like. It just he just sort of they tell you what's going to happen. He delivers on it, and then it's it's done. And there's not really a lot of pushback other than 
I mean, they fight, but like like you said, there's mm. no real threat. It's also pu- purely defined. Uh, like, okay, well, what now then? Like, is the whole point just to unite all the humans together into one system? Uh, is it, you know, it's just not super defined in the movie. And again, I'm assuming it is in the book, but in the movie, it just kind of feels like a, okay, what now then? You, mm-hmm. Okay, the, the, okay, sure. I mean, I, I suppose the main thing is that the, the, the firemen are kind of like now actually in control of Arrakis and this, this is their planet now, and they, as they should be, it's them taking control. And that's, that's great and all, but uh there's still all these politics with uh, the other planets and the emperor was like behind helping the baron try to double cross you know the duke in the first place and because uh, that's the other thing like at the start of the movie when they're throwing out all these names and saying oh so and it's this the guild so the, the the guild which is the big space looking creature uh with the weird kind of not quite a vagina but there's the mouth's very it's like flaps it's like flesh yeah flaps. i guess there's a little bit of genitalia implied yeah. there uh but he's in a tank and so this group are the ones who like controlled the, the, the space travel and that is run on space space is used for a lot of things but that's the biggest thing space is used for is the, is the mm-hmm. getting around and he's like be honest i love i love the look of them too they i think they look awesome well, the creature or, the, or his soldiers, like his troops. Well, the 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 creature and like the like the way they have to like wheel it in, like okay, yeah. <laughs> for for people that are in charge of space travel, they don't look like they could travel very well. <laughs> uh, but he basically has the emperor admit what his plans are. Like, you're planning something. Let us in what it is, or you know, be death. It's okay. So this tells us that the guild that do space travel are actually higher ranking than the emperor in terms of like a- effective power because they can threaten the emperor right so well, that's the first thing they the the spice in a way too yeah in a way yeah uh but the emperor like says his plan and it made some amount of sense to me in this viewing because again i i've seen it before one for one and for two because i'd i'd, read, I'd, I'd listened to some of the first parts of the book I was familiar with the House of Trades, with the Baron, uh, like I was familiar with those those basic cells. But it was occurring to me, like watching it this time, like when he like says his plan here, he's like, "Okay, I'm working with the the Baron Harkonnen, and he's pulled out of Arrakis, and the the Atreides family are going to move in. But we're actually working with the Baron because the Atreides are building this really fancy army with a new technology that may actually beat us one day. So we're actually mm-hmm. doing this to double cross the Duke." Atreides and the Fremen are not involved because they're you know there's no we're not worried about them <laughs> and it, it, so I like goes through his whole plan and it's just kind of like could, did anyone how, how much of that could someone who's not heard any of these names before really follow especially when they start mentioning planet names as well mm-hmm. um it just it feels like a lot well, of I mean, this... did you listen to Virginia Madsen in the beginning? But even she's hard to listen to because she's just throwing like yeah it's just so much at once and she says it in this way we're supposed to understand what certain terms mean or like you really have to show some of it and then have the dialogue kind of fill in the blanks so the audience can kind of like go okay i understand the concept okay so space is this fuel it is this uh mm-hmm. resource that is used to travel but yeah. also used in combat it's used for a lot of different things i mean I'm sure you hate it, but I think the perfect example is the opening of the Lord of the Rings, where you just have Galadriel talking about the different rings and the different groups, the different factions, and it's all playing out with her, with her talking about it. And then you get like this little mini, like 
exposition of what happened to the one ring and how it traveled and how it got to where it is now and you're like okay i'm caught up i think i know everything i need to know and i i think that's like done the the best and maybe you could have done something similar here i think the key to it is at least the way i typically like it is that you you start off with a more of a smaller lens you start off with a window into one part of this world and then you expand mm-hmm. uh, and admittedly i'm thinking more of a tv show here but i typically like you know episode one of a tv show introduce the two or three big things you have to know right away and there's probably like maybe like six or seven things total that are really important to the show, but it's okay to leave a couple of them for episode two. So have the audience really get to grips with, okay, this is the core group of characters, right? But then introduce this third party in episode two, or you know, or so on and so forth, right? And I think the same goes for a book with chapters. You you have one chapter that is just about this one character and their family and the context and it hints at some things sure but you, you don't have to understand those hints yet you you, mm-hmm. you get that it's a larger world but we're focused on just learning who this is and then chapter two introduces another perspective and you start to slowly build up the world this movie <laughs> immediately is like this and it has the goal of like giving you like a literal like uh like a map almost of the universe where it shows you the three or four planets and yeah like, there's this, like four this, planets this. and you're like <laughs> and it labels them arrakis here's this one here's that one like a I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Especially when you're doing a, a story where you have an entirely fictionalized system where it's all planets with their own names. It's all like positions. And sure, emperor's a word we use, right? And duke's a word we use. But the context of, okay, how does what's the actual structure of the system in this, this fictional world that you've created? Yeah. I mean, that's why I have such a hard time with fantasy a lot. Oh, yeah, me I, too. I, I, yeah. You know, because you're, you're not on Earth where it's it's something kind of like earth but it's like it's middle earth that's why i think the the lord of the rings is a really great example because i tried reading that book before the movies came out and i gave up like halfway through the first one and once the movie came out and, and it broke everything down so well i was able to just fly through the whole trilogy because they're like okay i got it now i just needed to be shown i just need a, yeah. a, my hand held a little bit and now i i can get into that world and i understand uh, that is almost the opposite where i'm saying that from what i listened to in the audiobook it, it did a fine a job, job. Of, yeah. of you know one by one here's you know this chapter with paul learn who he is and sort of teasing like why this woman's coming to visit him and that kind of like a focus of just one chapter it's just the hand in the box that's that chapter yeah, yeah. you know and then and that's not even that. the beginning of this film like we get no. a lot more exposition and then we get the hand in the box scene later on yeah, because I think that's the first chapter in the book. I think it is like him it waking is, yeah. up. Yeah, and yeah. I've read uh, it many times. <laughs> <laughs> you tried to read it so many times that you know that's the first chapter. I'm gonna skip it when I start it again. Actually, I noticed actually when we got to the actual hand in the box test, uh, I looked at the runtime. We were 30 minutes into the movie at that point. Oh wow! Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, I didn't. I didn't feel the runtime of the movie at all. I actually thought it, it went by pretty fast for me. I think it did for me the first time. I think this time I was feeling it a bit more uh, because the the sheen of it had worn off. Because it, mm. it's only, I mean, it's been a couple of years since I saw it, but it's not long enough that I've forgotten like like how I felt or all the all the moments I like. You know, I'd forgotten a lot of things. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of stuff in this movie to forget, but like all <laughs> the good stuff I remembered. So it was kind of like you know, it was like I'm waiting for the moments I know I like. Whereas the first time it was a sense of discovery. It was this sense of uh whatever but because yeah because by the time we get to the hand in the box in this movie like we've already had the extended training sequence uh with picard and like the 
the weird drone thing that comes out of the ceiling that has blades and and spikes and stuff and drill bits. Yeah, that... the training <laughs> wheel <laughs> spindle thing. <laughs> yeah, we've had we've had that already. Uh, which I mean, not not that reorganizing some of the scenes is a big deal. Like that's that you, there's legitimate reasons for maybe doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does kind of mean that instead of having this definitive starting point, you have this weird. Oh, it's Virginia Madsen's face in space, saying. The space. Why is, is she the important? She's just the daughter things. of the emperor, and that's it. I didn't even notice she was the daughter of the emperor until like really late in the movie, because she was standing well, next to him. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of a weird intro where she's she's talking about. It. She brings up the emperor and she says, "My father," and oh, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> like, I thought that was kind of a strange. It's like, funny because she's on the phone I, with us. Oh, and one more thing. I feel, to tell you. I feel bad when we're doing reviews of things and I, in a podcast setting, where obviously this is more of a free-flowing thing, and naturally mm-hmm. sometimes it just happens where we'll get to a point in, in the story that we're talking about or something, and I'll say, oh, I should have mentioned this earlier, and I'll go back and set up what, what we're about to talk about, right? I feel bad doing that in a podcast where there's some leeway because it is just a conversation. Mm-hmm. So when a movie, it feels like it's constantly going, oh, by the way... <laughs> You should know this thing but, right before it's But relevant. she's only said like a couple of things so far and then she adds, oh, and I forgot to tell you. <laughs> but but even like, yeah, that's a literal thing when she actually says it all there, but I'm saying the movie feels like it's doing that constantly, even without saying it. That's it's, true. It's yeah. like, oh, let's introduce this thing because it's about to be important. <laughs> well, I mean, she comes back as the narrator a few times, but it, even when she's not there, like the characters are still narrating exposition for us all, <laughs> always. Yeah, yeah, constantly. It sort of feels like the like the exposition never ends. Um, you know, I sound like well, I really don't like the movie, but I actually do. <laughs> well, that, that, that's the problem is that I I think it's a movie that we both enjoy in some level, but the the problem yeah. is is that it is a mess. So we're going to discuss why it's a mess. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the critical thing to to talk about. Uh, it's an enjoyable mess. I think we summed it up perfectly earlier. It's just, you know, it's a, it's, yeah. a, it's just falling out of the sky, but as it, as it, it's burning bright as it does, so you, you can't help but not enjoy some of it, some of the spectacle. Um, Ooh, ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mentioned earlier on because it's a big deal with the they, they go up to the the space thing that takes them to Arrakis, and when they're flying over, we get an introduction of their body suits and all that. Uh, oh, Max von Sydow shows up briefly, by the way. Oh uh, yeah, by the way. Forgot <laughs> to mention he was part of the cast. Forgot to mention he was there. Um, but they have these suits that, you know, they, they sort of recycle your own water and can even, like, hold your feces for a bit. So you can survive for weeks yeah, in the desert. Yeah, nothing's wasted. Everything yeah. is recycled. So, okay, okay. That's, that's good to know. Um, and they're going to use that at some point. But they, they go in this sort of flyby and they go past, like, one of the, the mining, you know, the, 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 the space mining pods. And there's a worm coming towards them. And they, they kind of, like, and this is where David Lynch has his cameo. But they kind of try to evacuate as many as they can. Like, screw the spice, now get out of there. Which, again, it shows you that the Duke cares about people more than it does mm-hmm. the, the profit of the, the space itself. Uh, yeah, so you like him immediately. Yeah, and but Paul's just kind of sitting there just sort of taking it in and doesn't seem to like... If, if Paul said, no, Dad, we should help them, maybe we would be like written for him. Yeah? Yeah. Just an idea. Um, well, I mean, okay. It seems like Paul has a good mentor. Sure. His father. He has multiple good mentors. That's the problem. Is I like all these mentors more than I do him from a character perspective. It's it's hard not to like Patrick Stewart because you know we already associate him with a very likable character. Patrick Stewart, uh, even 
Max one side, he's not a mentor necessarily, but even he has kind of a moment where he's like, I like this Duke. Like, you know, he has this moment where he kind of puts over the Duke as being a good yeah. guy. Uh, but I, I wanted to mention that because you, you talked about earlier about the scale of the, 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 the worms. Like, you, 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 this is the introduction to actually seeing a worm. We hear about them before this and they mention, mm-hmm. oh, some of them are, you know, hundreds of meters long. But, like, we're expecting this worm to sort of pop out and maybe eat the station from the side or something or attack the station. Instead, you just see like the, the four flaps of the mouth just kind of come up out the sand. It completely surrounds this base and just swallows yeah. it. And, and just, then some. Like it's, yeah. it's, It could probably fit like 20 of the bases in its mouth. Yeah. Uh, so it's this gargantuan thing that... Uh, and yeah, it was a bit of a Neo thing almost because when Kyle McLachlan eventually drinks the, the water of life and he survives it, one of the things now that he, he can do is he, he can actually communicate with... He's like Aquaman, actually. Maybe that's a better comparison. He can actually mentally sort of communicate with the worms now. He's, uh, he's Dr. Doolittle. He's, he, he's not just wrangling like a horse where he's sort of like whipping it into shape. <laughs> now he's actually just mentally talking to it and being like, yeah. come on, worms, help us out. <laughs> Got a, a, a psionic connection. <laughs> yes. He's a... Uh... Uh, worm guy. I like it. <laughs> uh, well, I suppose worm man's the exact thing, but <laughs> yeah, but not wormy. Wormy is not no. good. Well, I'm thinking Aquaman, worm man, aqua guy. I wish you call Aquaman, aqua guy. He sounds cooler. Aqua guy. <laughs> no, okay, just me. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so. But that's, no, that's, a, that's a good moment that's a good moment um yeah uh that, that was it so, so the whole thing with the what's his face from uh Battlestar Galactic and Quantum Leap what's his name again uh Dean Stockwell thank you Dean Stockwell so he's the doctor who's going to betray the Duke right and again it felt like there's so much more to like really build up the idea that he feels forced to betray the person who actually appreciates because he actually he doesn't hate the Duke he's not some like person who believes in what the baron's doing he's forced into this and the movie like glosses over the fact that he's doing this kind of under duress like so yeah and he seems to be part of some other faction of of humans that we don't really get to see a lot of because he's got like a some Mm. diamond pattern on his forehead and he also like like, you know he does a lot of things even though he betrays the duke he makes sure the duke's ring which the baron cares about getting goes with Paul. He makes sure Paul and Jessica survive. Like, he does a lot of things to show that he's not just, like, a completely villainous bastard. He He's adhering to... It's what basically he, like, you're you're going to die if you come yeah. to this planet anyway, so I'm just gonna help that along for my own case, but don't worry, I'll take care of your kid and wife. Yeah, so... But, like, I felt like there's so much build-up to, like, that we could have with this character, like, struggling with the fact that he has to do this. So there's so much character stuff you could do with this. And it kind of, like, just goes... You you learn that he's the one who's the the insider, the you know the mole, and then there's maybe like two more scenes with them before the big like thing happens where he's like enacting the plan. So again, it's just boom, 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 boom. And this isn't the half of the movie that I'd say is less rushed because the second half is definitely the more rushed half. Oh, absolutely. But they're definitely both rushed. There's definitely a rushing feeling, uh, mm-hmm. in both. Not rushing, rushing. <laughs> just to make that clear. <laughs> Yeah, not rush like the Canadian band. Slapping the bass. <laughs> Singing about trees and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, it, it says a lot. That we've, like, other than we were talking about the cast, we've not even really mentioned that when they get to the Fremen, 
and Paul becomes their their chosen one. It, do you know what he becomes? He becomes their Bruce Campbell in Army of Darkness, where he trains them all. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I could almost hear like obviously the Dune music's really good, so I don't want to besmirch that. But you could easily replace it with the the music that plays in Army of Darkness when he's training all the all the knights and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's kind of that, and always and again, Dune obviously existed first. I'm not claiming anything here. I'm just saying. That there's some of those vibes from it. Well, it's a montage. It's a training montage. The problem is, is that his entire time with the Fremen feel like a training montage, though. Yeah. Like they have, does. they have their initial meeting, which is a little bit more like a normal scene, but almost immediately, like we start just rushing through all the ideas, and the yeah, role- I I guess also on on before when they, when they crash the ship where um the the Dinders have ad- abducted Paul and his mother, and she's bound over the mouth mm-hmm. because she's considered kind of like a witch and she can she can use her voice to control people so they they have to cover her um and but paul is able to also use his voice to influence um the men to do things to to like ungag his mother so that she can use her voice so i guess that's the first introduction to where we see that he has this ability to use his voice as a weapon yeah, but this is something that's established that other characters... I mean, at least the woman can do, right? And this is why he's special, that he's the one man who can do this. But that's there's a big leap from that to he can suddenly make it rain, I think. Because this is something that... Okay, other people have this skill. This is something that's established in the world. There's not a lot mm. that this movie establishes well, but it does establish that. So when he starts doing it, it's like, okay, this you know, makes sense. But when we get to the Fremen, though, very quickly it starts rushing through things. And one of the things that it rushes... And I'll tell you right now, if you want me to give a shit about your romance in a story the one thing that's not going to work is him looking at the the woman and because he's seen a vision of her in, in his dreams he's already like there she is the woman i love <laughs> like okay i feel nothing from this mm-hmm. nothing you've seen her in your dreams once i feel nothing from this well maybe and more than once she but. has what like what what reason does she have to be in love with him no, but she clearly is because we see that together very quickly after yeah. this. They're I just mean, a thing. I guess so. I guess it was just love at first sight. I just, yeah, I, there's no, I mean, she has no character really in the movie. I'm sure she does in the book, but in the movie, she has no character. Not really, yeah. Uh, uh, the romance is basically just a footnote. It's like, and they're a couple now. And it actually is quite surprising how fast it gets to that. Yeah. It's just he sees her, that's a woman that he knows he loves, and now they're in love. And that's it. So that's simple. They're making out on the stand. <laughs> it's that simple. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, not much to say about that beyond that. Yeah, I mean, even the Stargate girl had more reason to be in love with uh, James Spader. Yeah, I mean, at least... <laughs> He seemed like he he was smart and he smelled at her a few times. That's that's that that, <laughs> that at least shows attraction, you know. Like, oh, yeah. okay, so he seems he seems nice. Therefore, I am attracted to him, and he's handsome, <laughs> right? That that there's more to that than just this, which is, oh, I've seen you in my mind, and she just seems to go, yeah, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yeah. Uh, but we don't yeah. get her perspective at all, so. Yeah. Uh, all I can imagine in her head is a uh, ah yeah I suppose you'll do. 
Yeah, at least you're not someone that I've known my entire life in a cave. <laughs> you're an, an outsider. outsider. Okay, yes. I would have taken anyone. <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know. I, I mean, we talked. Like, I don't know if we there's anything else scenes you want to talk about. Any other moments or ideas? We sort of started with the ending, so I, I think maybe yeah. we are done. I told I told you this was not going to be a let's go through the plot like we do, you know, a proper good film like Predator Two. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, there's so many details in that. There was definitely moments where I found myself going... Because normally when I'm watching something, I know we're going to talk about it, and it's something I'm watching for the first time where I don't know it. And this is not the case. In this case, it's not a first time watch. But for the sake of all the details, let's just say it's the first time watch. Uh, normally, if I like, I feel like I've missed something in a scene because maybe my attention was like drawn away, I'll, I'll go back. I'll, I'll go back the minute or 30 seconds or whatever it was, and I'll make sure I take in the information. I don't want to miss anything. Mm-hmm. Um, with this movie, uh, there's so many details being thrown at you so so often that you'd have to watch it many times <laughs> you, you you feel that like you've just missed something all the time like i, I had yeah. that feeling like at least two dozen times watching this movie because of how it just speeds through all the exposition and all of the ideas and all the plot uh so i do like that there's there's some sort of mechanic involved with a lot of the different um the factions of people like i i like that the gingers all have this heart plug it's like a kill switch mm. where um, the the Baron at any point can just decide that you're dead now by pulling out your heart plug. Like he has that. It's specifically installed so that he has the ability yeah, to do that. He looks at that because of that young guy gets, gets brought in and has like introductory scene yeah. to like put the uh, the flowers out or whatever it is. And the Baron's looking at him like a piece of meat. Like it, it looks sexual. But then he just yeah, goes over and just kills yeah. him. He just rips Very this much out like of him. the Sting scene later on. Although Sting doesn't have a heart plug, so I guess he must be too high in nobility to have one. Yeah. Uh the Baron's chomping the bit. He really comes off as like really like perverted just looking at this guy. Yeah. It it does come off as sexual. I think is um, that's supposed to be implied. Cause he, he I mean, and the the kid like is terrified like, from the moment he walks in and like that like puts him in the in his target in the baron's target for like yeah i'm gonna get you (laughs) once i'm done with my speech and i'm satisfied with your flowers and it like he stays with him as he bleeds out everywhere too so the next scene he's like covered in blood and he's satisfied by it oh he was very happy with himself yeah yeah that's his uh afternoon killing like like, this is a very successful gross human being that they've that Lynch has created here. Yeah, and then his nephew, who we didn't really mention, but like his nephew ends up being put in charge of Arrakis once they take over it after the takeover. Mm-hmm. Um like he's disgusting as well. He like crushes like weird alien bugs and like drinks the Yeah, he drinks it. Yeah. <laughs> really nasty. Uh he, so he, he's just generally disgusting. Um so you know, you, you got a bunch of those sort of stale moments with them. Yeah, they're kind of they kind of remind me of um, like garbage pail kids. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with them. I've I mean I've heard of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're very. It looks very much like a garbage pail kid that grew up. Joe, I mean, I mentioned these characters earlier, so we we do see a couple of these characters. One with their trades, and then there's a uh, Brad Dourif's character, right? And they're they're a type mm-hmm. of person who's effectively become like. They they're a human version of a computer. They're they're there to do work that a computer would otherwise do. Now, admittedly, when this was written, computers obviously weren't doing as much 
<laughs> than it did. Like I, I don't. No, th- but I like that it's like a biological thing, though. Oh sure. So I just want to. I'm just cracking the joke that when this was written, and those lines were put in the book. Mm-hmm. Like I don't think that uh, Herbert was thinking about like, you know, oh. Uh, they can also do Photoshop, and they can do, <laughs> they can do like you know stuff like. I was just thinking like, all no, this... they can just do like complex, yeah. like uh, formulas and stuff in their yeah. heads, and yeah, very quickly like a computer would. Yeah, and I, I do think that's cool, and I like that it's a. I think it's connected to the spice also, where they they just drink it, and it makes their eyebrows really grow really big, and <laughs> and also they're very very quick, quick thinkers, and I like Brad Dourif in the film too. Yeah, because I like Brad Dourif. Oh. He's always so, like, he's like waxy looking. I don't know what it is about him. <laughs> and of course, he's a villain because he's always a villain. Yeah. Uh, can't trust him. Can't trust Brad Dourif. I think I think he's a he's a good guy. He's and the and the and of all things, the Rob Zombie Halloween remakes. He's like the sheriff, and he's like he's a good guy, which is just one of the many problems with Rob Zombie's Halloween movies. I'll watch something older where he plays a good person. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure, sure I'm it sure, exists. I'm sure it exists. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah, I think that's it. I, I don't know if there's a whole lot of other things other than just like combing scenes for individual little moments or something that are worth mentioning. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's a it's a mess of a movie full of far too many concepts that either had to be simplified or this had to be turned into at least two movies which funnily enough is what they're at least planning to do with the new one so we'll see how well it introduces everything and i'm actually really curious because i think because of all the failings of this movie it's a really interesting thing to compare it to now once we get the new one because we'll have this baseline of like okay how does it improve things how does it achieve actually making me care about what's going on in this and in a way that i feel like the book was doing from what i did get from it but uh yeah i I, I remember from the book is that it's it's written very much like a fantasy novel like it's a very it's got a lot of really pretty language in it Mm. um it it reminded me of lord of the rings when i was reading it actually reminded me of tolkien yeah i mean i know it's a big sweeping epic and stuff but it it's not as it doesn't remind me of like other science fiction books that I've read. Which, which to be fair, I think other science fiction does appeal to me a bit more because of that. You know, I, I definitely go more towards your, your Terminators and your your expanses and your Babylon Fives. <laughs> like there's definitely more, and Star Trek, of course. Which I shan't not, you know, mm-hmm. Star Trek. I could see the anger building up in your eyes that I was listing science fiction. <laughs> we're getting a big one believe it out star trek how dare i uh and of course aliens which is the best movie of all time uh so um yes anyway i'll let you know what i think of the book in the next dude review <laughs> i almost want the audience to place bets if, if tara actually gets through doing the book uh, i'll get it yeah okay actually you know what this isn't fair because you spend a lot of time at work driving so you can, if you listen to the audiobook, you can get through it really easily. Yeah, uh, okay. I'm like minimum four hours a day in the car anyway. Okay, okay. You actually have a pretty convenient uh Yeah. So avenue. it's a pretty safe bet that I'll be able to get through the audiobook in time. Okay. Okay. I'll be curious. I think it's still a pretty long one, a pretty long audiobook. Well, look at it this way, you'll have to get through half of it technically. 
you know, in terms I of what's relevant for the movie. <laughs> you don't know the exact stopping point. I don't point, retain but... as much when I do audiobook versus actually reading. But because mm-hmm. um, when I do audiobook, I can think about other things. You can actually, drift, but... yeah. You don't necessarily, yeah. You're actually focusing on things. Yeah, it's tougher. I mean, that happens while reading sometimes too. But like, I I tend to be more into something when I'm when I have the physical book that I'm reading. Not, I don't think there's anything wrong with audiobooks though. So long yeah. as you have a good narrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got I had one book that was like. I mean, it was a nonfiction book. It was about like getting better sleep and stuff. But the the narrator was like so sexy sounding that I couldn't like get into it. <laughs> I thought you were like, going to say they sounded really boring. I thought, no, that's genius. Have a boring narrator <laughs> for the the one that's made to put you to sleep. Book about sleep. That's genius. Uh, but no, yeah, sexy doesn't work. <laughs> no, it was too distracting. <laughs> Just going to wake me up more. Um... <laughs> All right, rate done. I'm going to give it a 7.5. I think that it is, yeah, a total mess. And there's a lot of stuff that I think is missing from the film. And a lot of things that are in the film that I'm still missing because it wasn't delivered very well. But man, it's so fun to look at. It's it's um, it's the, the character designs that I think were even were more David Lynch than they were Frank Herbert probably are like so creative and, and cool. The soundtrack is so cool. Like the highs in the movie are, are pretty high. So I'm going to give it a good plus, plus the half point, 7.5. Okay. Uh, I, I'm going lower than I did last time when I first watched it, because I think the problems are a bit more, well, problematic, I guess. <laughs> they're a bit more, they're a bit more in your face on a repeat viewing. But you know, I mean, obviously for you, you watched it as a kid, but it'd been so long that this was effectively mm-hmm. a, a first time again. I think. Well, I watched it a few years ago. Oh, sorry, sorry, you did. You said that. Um, but I, I think for me, like, I still really like a lot of the things that I liked about it before. But the issues of not caring about the actual characters and things because the storytelling is just a mess because it's this, like. Almost abridged version of of what the story is uh, makes it hard to actually care about things. So I'm going to go up a full point less than I did before because I actually went really high last time. So I'm going to give it a seven this time. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is to say that I still I still think there's a lot of value in watching it, and I still love a lot of things about it. Uh, but I yes, I enjoy this more than Blade Runner. Uh, put that in the books. As do I. All right. Cool. Um, let us know what you think. Of of doing nineteen eighty four, in the comments below, they can subscribe all that stuff. I'm going to make Tara pose for the thumbnail now, so we'll see what she comes up with. But uh, here we go: three, two, one, pose. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I like it. It's a challenge, but I like it. Uh, <laughs> So, yes, um, next time, I believe, I think we're just going straight to the vote winner, which we don't know what the vote is because we're recording this right before the end of September. So, whoever wins the vote on Patreon this month is what we're doing next. Wow. We just did a vote winner. I know, but we're getting this one out of the way quicker. We're getting this one out of the way right at the start of October. uh, We'll do the vote winner, which we're all slightly horror-skewing sci-fi because it's October. 
uh, as as you would expect. But I uh, look for that uh, next week, whatever it may be. Um, I do know what it is because I, I I've seen the results and you know there's definitely the winners decided. But we're not we're not quite at the end of the month yet, so I can't tell you what it is. Ah. So tell me after we stop recording. Sure. The the post that tells everyone what the winners are though isn't like locked on Patreon. The public can see it. You just have to go to the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash TV. Isn't that right, Tara? That's right, Peter. If you enjoy our reviews, you can actually go to that Patreon page, patreon.com slash TV, and donate as one dollar per month and you will get access to bonus episodes of the Ace. And if you donate five dollars per month, you will be able to vote on what we watch once a month. Like uh, Peter said, we have horror films, horror sci-fi movies for this month. Who knows what next month will be? Thanksgiving films. Oh yeah, go on. Name me four Thanksgiving <laughs> sci-fi movies. <laughs> dare you. Okja. What's that Thanksgiving? It's about like feasting on animals. That is a stretch, and you know it. Yes, the Korean <laughs> film is about Thanksgiving. Well, if we review it, I'll, I'll somehow tie Thanksgiving into okay, it. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. So head on over to patreon.com slash TV and see if you uh, are interested in any of our bonus material. Thank you. Yeah, and of course, one of the higher tiers, uh, make sure you're a Patreon producer. So I'll thank our Patreon producers for this month. So thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Short, Bordenow, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. So thank you to you all for being producers. So there you go. That's pretty much it. Uh, like, subscribe, ding the bell for notifications. Those are the free ways to uh, support us and help us out. Uh, all those button clicks do help uh, and comments do as well. Uh, if you listen to the audio version, uh, give us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes or Podcast Addict or wherever you listen to your podcast, whatever app you use. If there is a review function or a rating function, put it to the max and say nice yes. things. We only we only want max ratings. Yes. Yeah, don't, don't, don't come at me with some sort of mediocre three-star rating. <laughs> Even if we are mediocre, don't do that. No. <laughs> Nobody wants that rating. I, I, don't, I don't accept it. I, I shove it back in your face. Uh, I I fire words at you like Paul Atreides. Uh, yeah, you'll shout like a like the dragonborn. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, that is, that is pretty much it. That is the show. That is the Atomic Cinema Experiment. So we'll be back next week with the whatever the vote winner is. And we'll see for that. But I did mention earlier that Arrival's coming the week after. So I can tell you what's coming in two weeks' time. <laughs> Arrival's coming in two weeks' time. Uh, and then Dune. And then there may be something before Dune after that, though. There may be like another yeah. week and then Dune, uh, depending on how it works out. But but you guys know Dune's on the way. Dune, Dune 2021 is on the way, yes. So let us know what you think in the comments. Thank you for watching once again. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer at space.